last time I have been speaking about a right or wise effort. We are going in a, through the components of the Noble Eightfold Path and how that is, you know, the application of our energy leading to more spaciousness and wisdom as well as to more kindness and compassion through being willing, you know, to be intimate with our direct experience in the body. And, you know, having just gone through the COVID experience, it was, it wasn't easy, you know, to be, to master the willingness to be with my experience. I was going a lot into the thinking and worrying about maybe I'm going to have long COVID, maybe I'm not going to blah, blah, you know, all of those things. And then, you know, noticing that and bringing my awareness, bringing my mindfulness back to this very fuzzy, confused, kind of separative experience of how my body was and how my mind was. I felt like packed up in cotton wool and it was very un, felt very unsafe, you know, to open to that experience. So to directly sense the physical experience of the present moment is as close as we can get, you know, to the flow of life. And sometimes that feels downright wrong, you know, because it isn't clear, it doesn't have a shape, it doesn't have a sense of contours, and it feels kind of, feels dangerous to connect with it. And then, you know, again and again, I, I remembered, yes, you know, I've actually heard that to be with that experience is also okay. This is also just an experience and it is impermanent like all other experiences. But often, you know, if we have this very unformed energetic patterns, we feel like, there's something wrong with that. There's something uh, wrong with that. And we need to make sure that we get ourselves to safety by thinking about the future. And then often what we are do is catastrophizing, you know, projecting that uneasy, queasy physical experience we don't want to be with, projecting it in the future in terms of stories and scenarios which we need to protect ourselves from and then every moment when we are noticing it with a lot of kindness you know bringing our mind back to the experience and that's what I needed to do a lot and I also I had good support Heather is you know here with me that made it so much easier to not be alone and then I had also a friend sending some healing energy and, and some conversations with people online. So I had a good amount of support, but still it was really not easy to open up to that, which had no words, you know, which was just basically very confusing. And... So to engage in this very challenging work, this is actually the application of uh, right effort or wise effort. And 
you know, through bringing ourselves back to sensing, we are basically deactivating the limbic system and we are activating the frontal cortex. So we are deactivating the, the spinning in the catastrophic stories, the fears, the all the bad things which are going to happen in the future. And we are taking the energy out of that and putting it into connecting with the frontal cortex, which is giving us a sense of context and which remember, you know, helps us to remember we are actually in a safe space, even if it doesn't feel safe. And looking around and seeing, oh, I'm in my room, in my bed and outside, and I've had us walking around and preparing the meal and all of those things. And then again, all the mind escapes again into splitting off the energy, thinking about something, and then, you know, bringing it back again and being with these very undefined sensations in the body, which make me feel like I'm walking on cotton wool, or I'm walking on very unsafe ground. And if we are, you know, are not training ourselves to come back to that very unsavory, uncomfortable experience, we are just reinforcing past patterns of conditioning. These loops, you know, of thinking which keep us stuck in the past. And then, you know, we tend to generally relate to ourselves in a similar way to how others have related to us when we were very young. So we're going to repeat, you know, how others have related to us, or at least how we have experienced it from our own side. And that's then, you know, how we are continuing to define ourselves. And once that did have a certain, you know, uh, important function, which is, you know, it's called the superego. But at the same time, you know, it's not just like our individual experience, but it's also our ancestral and collective trauma and karma, you know, which we are looping into it constantly if we are not aware of it. And then when I remember, you know, what, how my father related to me, for example, how he wanted to keep me safe, you know, by keeping me down, because that was done to him, I suppose, you know, and that was done to his father and so on and so forth. And then we are coming, you know, from the individual conditioning to the ancestral conditioning to the collective conditioning of the culture to the collective trance of separation. So this is why the capacity, you know, to be steady with this uncomfortable, undefined experience is at the center of the practice. It's the key really to transformation. And because of the unpleasantness of it, we need friends, we need spiritual friends, we need encouragement. We need precepts. We need Sangha. You know, in order to break out of that prison of the past, which is so convincing sometimes, especially if we are weak, you know, from some kind of sickness, as I just was now for the last um, two weeks or so. 
to break out of that prison, you know, which keeps us small and keeps us predictable. This is the most important work. And I've brought a poem from the book, The First Three Women, which I think speaks very well to that work. And it's called Tissa the Third. Why stay here in your little dungeon? If you really want to be free, make every thought a thought of freedom. Break your chains, tear down the walls, then walk the world a free woman. You make every thought a thought of freedom, which means whenever you know a thought wants to keep us, pull us back to the past, to what we know, to bring in mindfulness, to bring in awareness. Then this very thought, you know, of confinement and making us small and predictable, this very thought becomes a thought of freedom because we see it for what it is. It's just a thought. It has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. And, you know, my teacher, Achan Sumedo, he was saying that a lot. You know, the monastery, when I was training in Amravati, he always, he always said, don't believe your thoughts. And I always thought, big deal, you know. <laughs> but now I can see, you know, after 30 years trying to not believe my thoughts, I can see how difficult it is, actually. And how he was also believing his thoughts, you know. He, he understood a lot of it, but he wasn't completely able to do it himself you know and that was quite helpful to see that that big ma man the big master also had his limitations and so do i you know and all of us here in this meeting but we can help each other because we are not all stuck in the same way at the same time so that's the good news and this is how we can help each other to you know to not take it also personal to see more the universal patterns of all of this. And this is, you know, what the Buddha's teaching is all about. In, in particular, you know, when we are today speaking about right mindfulness, right awareness, we, you know, we can, uh, we need to refer to what's called the four establishments of mindfulness or the four satipatthana. They are the classic template for the application of right mindfulness and right awareness. And they give us a map, a map how we can, you know, access our direct experience in a way which is more expedient, you know, because usually it's all like one huge tangle, the tangle of me kind of a thing. And uh, the four establishments of mindfulness help us to uh, dissect the tangle a little bit into four sections and then we have four different inroads into the tangle and that makes it all a little bit more workable i'd say and before you know we come to the guided meditation i just want to very shortly um, explain that a little bit so the first of the establishments is kaya or body which is the somatic experience the second one is Vedana or feeling tones or the affective experience. And that's like the intermediary between the body and the mind. The feeling tones, we can experience them in the body 
as you know physical experiences but we can also experience feeling tones in the mind the mind can also be pleasant unpleasant and neither pleasant nor unpleasant then the third establishment of mindfulness is chitta or mind heart mind that's the cognitive experience that's the mood of the mind a mind with anger a mind without anger a mind with greed, a mind with confusion or without. And then the fourth one is dharmas or phenomena. And that relates all the three previous uh, establishments, body, feeling, tones, and mind, relates all of those to conditionality. Shows us, you know, how they are all entangled with each other, conditioning each other and opens up our minds to the impersonal truths of life, which are, you know, in Buddhism, they are called the three characteristics, which is impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and not self or emptiness. And then we can go more into detail in the sessions to come, but for now, you know, it helps us to see that all of those experiences, they have a personal flavor to it, but they are built from impersonal components. And they are body, somatic experience, feeling tones, affective experience, mind, tones, or cognitive experience, and dharma's phenomena or conditionality. And, you know, that doesn't make the experience of it easier, but it gives us kind of a map to lean into when we feel we are getting completely lost and swept up and completely confused. Because we still need to go through the experience, but we can have help. We can have something to lean onto. We can have something to hold onto. While we are allowing the experience to do what it does. And, you know, then we can allow ourselves to let go and jump into the river and swim. And yesterday I spoke with someone who said to me, and I found that was really beautiful, you know, letting go of the banks of the river and swimming together in the river and seeing with whom we are swimming and seeing that we are not alone. And we all have our personal struggles but if we dissect those struggles down to its components, the components are always the same. They are somatic, affective, cognitive. And that can give us a little kind of relief while we are struggling, keeping our head over water. It can give us some kind of a bearing, you know, on the experience. And that makes all the difference. Because again and again, we can come back to that. And that gives us a sense of buoyancy because we are not taking it 100% personal. And that's, you know, what creates wisdom and compassion. That's what creates spaciousness and kindness. You know, humankind, we are all of one kind when it comes to this, when it comes to the four establishment of mindfulness. 
we are all in the same boat. And that's, you know, where we are standing on. And then from that, we start to have some kind of a perspective. And then there's a lot which needs to be done. But at least, you know, we are, can start from a common ground. And, you know, to learn to swim together, that's what we are training here in these meetings. Because there's no other way. As difficult, you know, as the situation is on the planet right now, with more and more unfinished business, you know, exploding right into our faces. We always can come back to those impersonal building blocks of our experience and which helps us to not take it so, so personal. Which helps us, you know, to take responsibility rather than getting lost in reactivity. Because this is really the only freedom we have got. We need to take responsibility and that can only happen through not getting lost in reactivity. And I'm saying that knowing how difficult it is and getting myself lost. Just got lost a few days ago for 10 minutes with Ayananda Bodhi, you know, when she came and we were discussing about what to do with all of the stuff in the storage, who is responsible for what. We got pretty activated about that, you know. But then after 10 minutes or so, we just stopped. And then we're just going both, like, let's go for a walk. And... Then then we came back both, you know, and then we we found a way. We found a way to the next step. You know, we haven't solved the whole issue, but we, we found a next step. And that's how it works. The next step. And we always want the solution. We always want it all sorted out and go on to the next thing. That's not how it works. That that pressure, that impatience you know comes from simply from fear you know fear of discomfort and that's what we all have in common you know with these very sensitive human bodies of course we are afraid of discomfort of course that's humankind is like that but we can change it we can work ourselves out of that story that comfort is good and discomfort is bad because that is really and truly a story so really you know don't believe your thoughts come back to direct present experience sensing and then you know be kind be kind to yourself. Know that this is what humankind experiences. This is the predicament of this way of existence. And we can't cheat our way out of it, you know. That's not possible. We need to go through it. And it, it's inbuilt, you know, it's inbuilt in that kind of experience. The way out is inbuilt. 
but it's kind of a bit hidden in plain view, you know, because we need to stop and go deeper. It's kind of a bit, you know, counterintuitive at first until we get the hang of it, you know. And then it's a lifelong training, supposedly, you know, many lifetimes. But for now, you know, we, we do what we can with this lifetime. So let's, you know, settle in for meditation to kind of bring it all together a little bit into our more direct experience. And, uh, you know, we don't have to work hard. This is just like an invitation to settle in and allowing your breath to take you into the body. Allowing your nervous system to guide you. And sensing the gravity which gently pulls us towards the planet, showing us where we belong for this earth and what we need to work with. Like getting to know it. By allowing it to teach us rather than trying to control it and making such a mess. We need to open up that data flow. We need to take an interest in what the earth has to teach us. And we have all it takes for that because we have those earth bodies, which are a direct lifeline into the earth through eating, drinking, breathing, and sensing. We can open up a communication which is wordless. I really consciously engaging with that vibrancy. And, you know, showing some humility, showing some interest, coming back to the ground. The manifest. All of our ancestry. Which make up this planet, bodies of humans, animals, plants, minerals, all you know, emerging from stardust, which has clumped together you know, over 4 billion years ago to form this planet Earth we are part of. It's such an amazing, awesome intelligence, which is 
self-regulating here. And we can remember that we belong to this. And we can open up to that intelligence. From a sense of belonging. And humility. So you know, from your seat, just sending down some roots into the earth. Going down with the out breath. Into the depths and the darkness and earthiness. The roots systems which are there and the mycelium and with the embrace breathing up the peacefulness and the vastness of what we are part of This is an extension, you know, of mindfulness of the body. The first establishment of mindfulness, Kaya. And in the classic teachings, you know, which you can find in the canon, there is a meditation on the anatomical parts, meditation on the elements, and meditation on death. And all of those, you know, together teach us that this body is part of the earth body. It's made from the same elements. It's in constant rapport. It cannot live independently. And that gives us a sense of grounding. And you might be able to notice it in your own body, a sense of peacefulness and sense of depth, which becomes available. If we reframe the story, And that's the grounding, you know, from which we can then look into other establishments of mindfulness, such as the next one would be Vedana. You know, as we are noticing maybe that the mind wanders off into thinking about something, we can 
see, you know, what's the underlying feeling tone? What did take us away from staying with the earthiness of earth? You know, looking back, what took us away? Was it maybe a pleasant feeling tone? Then it's probably related to some kind of greed. Was it an unpleasant feeling tone? Probably related to aversion. Or is it just ambling around, you know, neither pleasant nor unpleasant? Delusion. And then just coming back again, letting that go and coming back again. And by noticing the feeling tone, that's automatically a letting go of being caught up in the greed or the anger or the delusion. Being able to identify that is letting go. It's like instead of being swimming in it or diving in it, we are coming up from under it and put our head out and see again, oh, agree, movement, or fearful aversion without any judgment, just the recognition. That's so, so helpful in daily life also. Then, you know, coming back again to the earthiness of the earth. Sensing that with the body. There's no real boundary. The skin is an organ, just like the stomach or the heart. It has a function, but it's not separate. And opening up to that wordless data flow. Tuning to it by, you know, not allowing the energy to get lost in the thinking process, but using the energy to be intimate with Earth, which is an extension of the body.
And in this way, you know, we are updating ourselves by connecting with that massive data flow. which is a self-regulating intelligence. And which is asking us, you know, to pay attention with all of the environmental challenges. They are basically asking us to turn towards with humility and the word humility, you know, it comes from the same root as the word humus, which is another word for earth. This is the movement we need to all engage in these days, this century, this era. Come back to, you know, come off our high horse and come back to the ground. And removing a assumed layer of separation, which was just an immature stage of understanding ourselves. And now it's dissolving because the time has come for that to happen. And instead of resisting it, we just go with it. We just open up to it. And, you know, noticing the state of mind, which comes from this kind of contemplation, a mind which is more at ease, which is taking down the walls, tearing down the walls of ignorance. And noticing, you know, as we let go of these assumptions, how the mind starts to settle. Just noticing the difference. A mind which is much more open and relaxed because it's much more in touch with the way things really are. Doesn't need to scramble around to try to uphold something which isn't true. By making endless stories. Just can rest into that truth. A mind which is open, not holding on to anything. And at the same time, attuned 
and resonating, you know, with that wordless transmission, the resonance with the unmanifest and the manifest, the earth body, the manifest, the unmanifest, the mind which doesn't cling. A temporary liberation of the mind through not clinging. Or my, my first teacher, Champurudasa, called it uh, a little nibbana, a taste of freedom from ignorance. Just a temporary taste, but a taste nevertheless. So, you know, a temporary abeyance of the hindrances. Through the fact, you know, that the body and the mind are in intimacy with reality. You know, if you're coming home for a few minutes or a few hours, and experiencing, you know, that subtle joy which becomes available if the mind is not clinging to anything. Uh, holiday of the for the mind, as Arjun Chah would call it. So the main themes is, you know, the groundedness of earth as earth. You know, which supports us through constant exchange, through breathing, eating, drinking, going to the bathroom, supported by that solidity. And then awareness, mindfulness, which is really intimate. with that wordless communication or transmission or however we want to call it of the manifest and the unmanifest and the subtle joy which accompanies that intimacy.
and then you know we can uh, you know really zoom into that subtle joy and by means of an image we can cultivate compassion uh, means of a sentence May all beings be free from harm and the intention to harm. Maybe we can bring up an image you know, of what's happening in the Gaza, the Middle East, the confusion, the repetition compulsion of trauma, the tightness of everything, not enough food, not enough water, not enough place to stay, so much craziness. May all beings be free from harm and the intention to harm. And the whole, you know, international community all meddling and messing around it. And now finally it has been brought to the international world court in The Hague, which is a progress for sure. And sending, you know, sending our compassion, sending it right there. May all beings be free from harm and the intention to harm. And, you know, same thing also how you're feeling or how I'm feeling when I bring up that image of that courtroom. And all of the different viewpoints and justifications and emotions and phew, only compassion can get there, encompassing all of it. May all beings be free from harm and their intention to harm.
May all beings be free from harm and the intention to harm. And knowing how difficult it can be, you know, if we are triggered, we are triggered, survivor triggered. And we know it from our own experience in small ways, you know, about the storage in Santa Rosa. But then what's going on in the Middle East is of a vast implication for so many people. And, you know, that compassion we can give to ourselves for, you know, the confusion and helplessness we experience and the horror. And to all of those who are directly involved, who live in this area and who experience incredible hardship and terror. Since generations, it has already, you know, it's no longer an individual issue. It's, it's an ancestral collective trauma is deep. The same, you know, the collective trauma of capitalism, racism, all of the isms which have been passed on out of ignorance. how deeply we are steeped in it and how painful it is to start to wake up and that what we need to do and we need to do it together and we need like a spiritual teaching to help us to navigate the mess May all beings be free from harm and the intention to harm.
And then, you know, for the remainder, <coughs> let us come back to the process of breathing. And being aware of the impermanence of the breathing process. You know, the body and the earth are impermanent. Mind states are impermanent. Feeling tones are impermanent. Everything is in flux and flow. And, you know, to give that flux and flow room and to be that flow. To let go of the banks and swim in the flow. That's what we can do. Trusting that vast intelligence, that self-regulating intelligence, which keeps the stars in motion and also runs through our bodies. That's what we can trust. That's what we call the Dharma. There's no one in charge, no one in control. And you know, if you're cultivating the openness, that's the medicine. That's what creates spaciousness, which is wisdom and kindness, which is compassion. The recognition of that we are all of one kind. These bodies and these minds, they are impersonal. They have personal patternings, but in themselves, they are impersonal. They are borrowed from nature. And uh, my first teacher, Chambudadasa, I always said, toss it all back to nature. Toss it all back to nature. Which means letting go into that intelligence, which speaks to us wordlessly. So coming back to the body, 
the weight on the cushion on the chair, which gently is pulled towards the planet through gravity. That's where we work, where we live. That's where the practice lies. Having a body is a complicated affair. What it requires to keep it going is the work. And everybody needs a place to stay, needs food, needs water, needs clothing, education. This is a fact. There's no way around it. This is part and parcel of being here. And even now, you know, in the third millennium, we still need to go to court to have that defended. That's really a sad thing. Flying to the moon, doing all of these crazy things, and the most basic things are not clear yet. That, you know, tells us how crucial it is to practice to not get sidetracked into one's trauma, which is never telling the truth. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.